a cowardly act caught on camera. Nobody deserves to be treated this way. A homeless man viciously beaten and the search for the suspect. Job site tragedy. It was a bit of a chaotic scene. A demolition job turns deadly on the North Shore. And a vaccine dose do-over. To have to go relive that experience is probably really challenging for some people. The B.C. town that gave out hundreds of invalid shots. And how people everywhere are reacting to the reinstated mask mandate. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Vancouver police need your help identifying a suspect in a disturbing attack on a homeless man. It was caught on camera in Yale Town. That's where our Kamil Karamali is tonight. Kamil, first a warning the video is disturbing to watch. Absolutely, uh, Chris. The video is tough to watch on its own, but even more gut-wrenching when you speak to the people in this Yale Town neighborhood who call the victim, the homeless man, a kind and gentle soul. Shocking footage from a cell phone taken across the street shows a brutal beating of a homeless man. Video released by police today, but the incident taking place a month ago on July 26th around 1 a.m. Is- kind of shocking yeah. like doesn't I don't really feel like that's a yeah. that's something that happened that would happen here I think I think it's horrible Global News has obtained more surveillance video from a nearby restaurant showing a group of five people. Tensions appear to be high. Police believe they were arguing, hanging around in front of the restaurant for about 10 minutes. Two of them leave, and that's when the homeless man makes his way to the group. He speaks to them. Then one of the men tries to hit his head. The homeless man walks away when one of the men follows him, trying to kick him, then taking him down and continuing to kick him repeatedly before another man intervenes the group then walks away it's um, incredibly uh, disturbing it's uh, it's cowardly it's heartless police say that was the last time they were seen they're releasing this video now because the trail has gone cold at this point we've uh, we have collected uh, significant evidence but we've been unable to uh, confirm the identity of the people responsible Jesus hoping the public can help. Many in Yale Town know the victim, including this shop owner. She says he's been hanging out in the area for years. No, really long times, you know. It's, I think it's uh, more than it's, uh, for, like uh, three to four years. And says he wouldn't hurt a fly, calling him kind and gentle. He's nice, you know. He, old, he is a uh, stand-up front of the restaurant. It's all the time begging the money, but you know, he's nice, yeah. Surprisingly, police say the victim did not suffer serious injuries. Homeless advocates worry it could have been a lot worse. In incidents that happen too often among the homeless population, many of them not caught on camera. There could be more incidents like this that happen that we just don't know about because there isn't somebody there to record or because there isn't another witness. Tough to watch for sure, Kamil. What else do police need to be able to find this suspect? Anything? 
Yeah, Chris. So we actually went door to door talking to business owners. And a lot of these businesses don't have surveillance footage that shows the full scale of what happened that night. Just that cell phone video that shows the best angle of what transpired uh, here. But what police are hoping for now, releasing this video one month after the incident, is hoping that someone who was there that night might recognize uh, the man in that video. Or ideally, Chris, even those people he was with that witnessed it may come forward to police. Back over to you. It'd be nice if one of them did. Thanks very much, Kamel, Kamel Karamali, reporting live in Victoria. Now to, or in Vancouver. Now to Victoria, where police are trying to identify a person who used a golf club to threaten staff at a local business. It happened last Thursday in the 600 block of Queens Avenue. Police say a separate man had a dispute with staff before leaving and then returning with the shirtless suspect. The man you see in the photo carrying a golf club is accused of threatening to harm employees. No one was hurt. The suspect is described as a 20 to 30-year-old white man with short, dark hair. If you know who he is, call police. A known sex offender has been released from custody days after Victoria police say he tried to break into a woman's home. 63-year-old Henry Mario Huving was arrested in Esquimalt's Fleming Beach neighborhood shortly after 9.30 Monday night. Witnesses say the suspect attempted to enter a woman's home through a window. She screamed for help. Neighbors were able to chase the man as he fled and hold him until police arrived. The suspect was or has convictions that date back to 2004 for kidnapping in Esquimalt and sexual assault in Tofino. The victim was in her residence by herself at about 9.30 at night. There was an open bedroom window uh, and she turned over and saw uh, a man uh, standing there at that bedroom window. She confronted the man. Uh, he did not attempt to flee. He attempted to enter the window. She was able to uh, uh, avoid him getting into her home. Uh, obviously terrified. Huving has been charged with assault and trespassing. Police are disappointed a judge ordered his release yesterday, but say they have no control over what happens in the courts. Huving's next appearance is set for September 15th. Now to North Vancouver, where emergency crews are digging through the rubble of a building that partially collapsed this morning, killing one person and injuring a second. Ahmad Agahi is live with the latest from what's still a very active scene. Ahmad. Yeah, Chris, what we're witnessing is a very somber, very tense moment as a highly skilled and technical search and rescue team attempts the delicate mission of trying to extract the body of a deceased worker from the site of a very tragic workplace accident here in North Vancouver that happened earlier this morning. It happened at the corner of Chesterfield and Esplanade, not far from Lonsdale Quay. Now, police say there were multiple 911 calls about what appeared to be a partial structure collapse at the site of the former Empire Theatre, which is set for redevelopment. One person was rescued, put on a stretcher and taken away uh, by paramedics to Lionsgate Hospital. BC Emergency Health Services telling us that that worker uh, was in stable condition. It is sadly a second worker that was found at the site and pronounced dead by first responders with the City of North Vancouver Fire Department. For much of the day, police officers closed the area to traffic to prepare for an investigation while engineers and WorkSafe BC personnel arrived. And moments ago, I spoke with someone who quite literally was facing the site of what he says could be the ground beneath workers collapsing, which he describes as a deafening noise. 
Uh, I was working actually. I work from home, and like I heard a terrible noise. Like, and and I know that uh, I used to see that there is a demolition happening always, and I thought it's a regular operation sound. Like, I I used to hear that noise very often, but this was like very different. But I was not able to come and see exactly what had happened. I just came out, and like there was a smog of air coming in. This morning it was like a, a, a it was a flat level, and like there were many. Uh, what do you see here? Like rocks and portions. Of of those stuffs, it, it's all piled up. All the uh, um, what should I say? All, all the debris are piled up on the floor. So probably that might have been the reason for pushing it down. I don't know. Um, so and now it's hollow. It's you're not seeing anything. We're having a difficult time um, gaining access to the victim because of the uh, debris that's uh, that's um, hanging from above that could come down uh, upon uh, both the victim and the scene itself. So we want to safe the area, we want to mitigate those hazards and um, remove um, or secure that debris um, uh, prior to making entry to the patient. Once we make it to the patient, then um, we'll have to um, uncover that victim and then uh, package and remove them from, from the site. Now we're told that work could take at the very least two and a half hours, if not more, into this evening. Now the demolition company that has its signs on the site is called Dunright Demolition. Weren't able to comment on the phone with me earlier. This is a very busy area. A lot of people live and work in the area who are very heartbroken by what has happened because they've seen this crew working each day. Now it's, it is now in the hands of the RCMP to investigate if there's any criminal element with what has happened here. But at the very least, what we are seeing is another very tragic workplace accident that has taken life for the second time in our province this summer after what happened in Kelowna earlier this July. Chris. Yeah, very unsettling once again. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much, Ahmad Agahi, report, uh, reporting for us in North Van. All right, so it is day one of the renewed COVID-19 mask mandate requiring British Columbians to wear a mask in all indoor public places. Grace Key shows us how people are handling the latest change and whether businesses are worried about enforcing the new rule. Across the province, people are back to wearing masks in all indoor public spaces as COVID numbers are once again on the rise. On day one, as people were off to start their morning, there were some mixed feelings about the reimposed policy. I really don't like it, but I can understand it if there's a new variation coming up. Um, it's... You know, I'd rather be safe than sorry. We should wear because it's for our safety. A couple of months more doesn't change really that much. So wearing masks for another two, three months would be a good idea. Do not touch me! That means workers are back to reinforcement, dealing with unruly customers who don't want to wear masks. London Drugs doesn't plan on increasing security, but hopes people won't be taking their frustrations out on staff. Customers are doing a very good job of uh, relearning their mask habits, and we're hoping that's the case. After the mask mandate change back in July, we saw a fairly rapid uh, reduction in the amount of people wearing masks in our stores. And that was particularly evident in the BC interior. If you're heading to the gym, you'll have to wear a mask in common areas. At Oxygen Yoga and Fitness, clients wear a mask until they get to their mat for a workout. With 46 locations in BC, the CEO says clients have been positive, but there's been some frustration in the interior, where provincial health regulations are more strict. Of course, yeah, we've had pushback. And I mean, some... Some people don't feel comfortable wearing their mask while working out and others feel protected. 
So it's, it's a personal choice, although when it's being um, forced that we have to do this as a requirement by public health, then we obviously need to take things to a different level and ensure that this is taking place. The province will assess the reinstated measure once the vaccine card is rolled out. That's expected to be phased in on September 13. Grace Key, Global News. And a reminder of why we're doing it, here's a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for B.C. We have almost 700 new cases today. Active cases are still just below 6,000. 139 people are in hospital, 75 patients are in the ICU, and one more person has died from complications of the virus. Also, 75.4% of people 12 and older are now fully immunized. Keith Baldry joins us now with a closer look at the cases among vaccinated and unvaccinated British Columbians. Mm -hmm. Keith, what does the data show us now? Yeah, I've shown this before, but we've had limited data before. Now we've got a whole chunk of cases to look at, courtesy of the Center for Disease Control. And the results are striking and very reassuring. Take a look at this. Between July 17th, August 17th, more than 9,100 cases were examined. Of those, the not vaccinated or partly vaccinated, and primarily not vaccinated, 89% of the cases there, just 11% in fully vaccinated. In the more serious cases and hospitalizations, the numbers that really don't change much at all. 89% in not or partly vaccinated or 88%, pardon me, and 12% in fully vaccinated people. Now, again, 17 deaths attributed to the non-vaccinated category and five people who were fully vaccinated did pass away from COVID-19. In the past, those people have been in their 80s and 90s. I don't have the up-to-date information on that particular five deaths there. But again, more evidence that shows, again, the vaccinations are having a tremendous impact in keeping people healthy and out of hospital. One final positive note again today, I reported last night on the uptick in terms of people registering to get vaccinated as a result, probably of the vaccination passport, more than 9,000 yesterday, crossed the 10,000 threshold today, which means we're increasing our first dose by, by more than 0.2% a, a day. And that's very encouraging, which means we probably will hit 85% first dose by Labor Day. And that's very encouraging. We didn't see that a few days ago, but that vaccination passport, I think, is playing a role. Little incentive for sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much, Keith. A troubling story now out of Revelstoke. We mentioned yesterday, Interior Health says more than 500 people received doses of the COVID-19 vaccine that were invalid. Aaron MacArthur tells us what went wrong and what it means for the people who got those shots. How are you? I think it's a bit of a shame. More than 500 people in Revelstoke are now being contacted individually after they were given what Interior Health is calling an invalid dose of the Pfizer vaccine. For 15 people, it was their first shot. But the vast majority were second jabs. The mistake, human error. The doses stored improperly. As part of our normal quality assurance process, uh, we found a human error where some of the doses in Revelstoke were kept in a minus 20 freezer instead of a minus 80 freezer beyond the time that that's allowed. The Pfizer vaccine was originally approved for use with storage at ultra-low temperatures. In March, Health Canada approved storage at warmer temperatures, but only for two weeks at a time. In May, Health Canada changed the storage and handling requirements again, authorizing storage at normal fridge temperatures on-site for up to a month. 
Despite the error, doctors are confident the doses would have been at least partially effective. We may come to find out weeks, months, or years from now that uh, that storage is fine, Just because, but because we don't know that, we're offering new doses just to be sure. IHA says this is proof the checks and balances in place work. The error was caught quickly. It's the only time something like this has happened in the Interior Health Region. I think a lot of people are already apprehensive and nervous about the vaccines in general, so to have to go relive that experience is probably really challenging for some people. I understand mistakes can happen. It's a little unfortunate, but I feel like getting a booster wouldn't be the end of the world. People who do get this booster shot might experience stronger side effects, but health officials say there is no concern in getting a third shot. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Here, Canada is announcing one of the most strict vaccination mandates so far for its employees. The airline says all employees must be fully vaccinated by October 30th. And unlike many other businesses and agencies, the airline is not offering COVID testing as an alternative. It says it'll accommodate employees who can't be vaccinated for valid reasons such as medical conditions. But any employee who doesn't qualify and still won't get vaccinated faces consequences up to and including unpaid leave or termination of their employment. A Canadian veteran furious about what's happening in Afghanistan. They've been warned about about this for months. His thoughts on Canada's failure to help those who helped us in the battle against the Taliban. That's next on the News Hour. Get on the way to the door in case he has it on reverse. A clerk in Summerland injured trying to stop a suspected thief in the parking lot. That's coming up on the news hour. And back in the saddle. Humans might be jealous of a new horse spa to get the animals feeling better and back out on the track. That's coming up later. Right now, though, as the Taliban reestablishes its grip in Afghanistan, a Canadian veteran who served in that country says the federal government has failed its moral duty to protect thousands of Afghans who helped Canadian forces during the Afghan conflict. Many served as interpreters, and as a result, their families are also now at risk. Ramina Dea reports. Desperation deepens. Thousands of Afghans begging to be rescued. My greatest fear in this situation would be mass systemic killing of these people. Canadian veteran Trevor Street served two tours in Afghanistan. The retired corporal says the veterans community has been screaming at the federal government for months to get Afghans who helped the Canadian military out of the country. Canada specifically has abandoned our, a large number of interpreters and other locally employed persons. And there's, there's no other word to describe it other than abandoned. As of August 24th, the Canadian government says roughly 2,700 people have been airlifted out of Kabul and nearly 1,000 Afghans have arrived in Canada. Trudeau's goal, to resettle 20,000. So how many will get left behind? Deadline day, fast approaching. The Taliban ordering foreign troops out of their country by Tuesday. How many more airlifts by Canada? When is the last one? I can't answer that question um, just yet. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is get as many um, uh, people out. Guard, Guard. Afghan interpreters, a lifeline for Canadian troops, 
labeled the worst traitors by the Taliban. Revenge is something that is very high on the Taliban's priority list, even when there's no strategic value in it. Street says Canada owes these men and their families a duty of care because they are in extreme danger. I think that these people that are left behind, one by one, they'll be identified, drawn into some kangaroo court on trumped-up charges, and they'll be executed. And if they can't get the individuals, they'll kill their brothers, they'll kill their parents. It doesn't matter. Romina Dea, Global News. On the federal election campaign trail, promises of financial relief for Canadians who pay too much for housing, mental health services, even cell phone service. But how will these promises be delivered? Global's Miranda Ann Thistle has the details and why a Liberal cabinet member is coming under fire for her reference to the Taliban. Greeted by an angry mob in Surrey, B.C., Liberal leader Justin Trudeau is on the West Coast explaining how his party will fund its promise of a multi-billion dollar housing plan. We will raise the corporate income tax rate for Canada's largest and most profitable banks and insurance companies by three percentage points on all earnings over a billion dollars. Another Liberal gaining attention today, Trudeau's Minister for Women and Gender Equality, making this comment during a government briefing on Afghanistan. I want to take this opportunity to speak to our brothers, the Taliban. We call on you to ensure the safe and secure passage of any individual in Afghanistan out of the country. When questioned about this, Maryam Monsef says the use of brothers is a cultural reference, not a softening of the government's position. The minister has uh, expressed her, uh, her her views and explained herself. Um, we will continue to uh, recognize that the Taliban represent a terrorist organization. Not good enough, according to Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole. The language used by the Trudeau government is completely unacceptable. I think of the women and girls in Afghanistan are at risk with the Taliban regime once again coming into place. The Tories are in Brantford, Ontario, discussing their platform on health and mental health, promising to invest billions, create a nationwide suicide prevention hotline, and provide an incentive for corporate Canada to do its part. We will provide a 25% tax credit for three years to encourage companies to add mental health coverage for their employees. And in Windsor, Ontario, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is dialing into the issue of cell phone affordability. We're going to take on the big telco and say, you've got to stop gouging people and the rates have got to be more affordable. We're going to bring down those rates. Saying he has the political will to mandate unlimited data plans and put a price cap on services. Though it's not clear how he would restrict the private companies. Miranda Anthesol, Global News. Up next, fighting BC's biggest fire with more fire. There's uh, upwards of 250 to 300 kilometers of live edge that could uh, come alive at any time. The tactics they're using to tame the massive White Rock Lake fire. And later they say laughter is the best medicine. The healthcare experts who find humor on the front lines. Just some minor delays here in Coquitlam now due to this rollover semi on the Brunette on-ramp to eastbound Highway 1. It looks like they're going to have to shut the on-ramp to clear it, and they'll probably do that a little bit later. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. 
Welcome to Trish in Global One, high above a semi in Coquitlam. Unfavorable winds stalled a large-scale planned ignition on the massive White Rock Lake fire west of Vernon today. But as John Waugh reports, crews were able to take advantage of the weather to complete a much smaller burn on the southeastern flank. It's a tough, dirty job. And BC wildfire crews know exactly who needs to do it. A break in weather when you're dealing with the unrelenting White Rock Lake fire means you go on the attack and burn. There's uh, upwards of 250 to 300 kilometers of live edge that could uh, come alive at any time. Planned ignitions like this one from Tuesday successfully took away 350 hectares of potential fuel. Desperately needed to push back this wildfire that continues to rage out of control. Now more than 81,000 hectares in size. We have uh, winds that are going to be favorable in the sense that it will be at our backs, so it won't challenge our control lines. Crews know gaining any kind of ground here is a shift in their favor. Compared to the numerous occasions, the White Rock Lake fire chased them off the line. We're, we still always made progress. It just didn't look like it because the fire was moving at a faster pace than the progress that we were making. While the fatigue from this marathon fire season is taking its toll, Firefighters don't have to look very far to see what's at stake. The work being done now could mean preventing further damage or bringing some evacuees back home. And seeing the downturn in fire activity over the last week is actually really positive. It's giving them hope. It's, it's you know, encouraging them that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and we will get to the end of this fire season. Even when the weather cooperates, sometimes the terrain of the fire does not. Wednesday's ignition is a strike from the air hoping a drop of the appropriately named Dragon Balls will help make a dent. They look like a ping pong ball and they're filled with uh, potassium permanganate and they get injected with uh, glycol. Uh, that creates a chemical reaction that ignites little fires. Whether it's from the air or digging deep into the ground, the much needed break of calm weather has given BC wildfire crews a second win. John Hua, Global News, near Vernon. And as the 2021 wildfire season drags on, people forced out of their homes in the early stages are feeling the fatigue and wondering if their displacement is going to drag into the fall. Steve Hansen is one of them. He was forced out of his home by the White Rock Lake wildfire more than three weeks ago. He's one of a group of evacuees from the west side of Okanagan Lake who got the evacuation order way back on August 1st. Just to uh, get the services that you need, you, you have to go through quite a bit of red tape, but uh, uh, we're looking forward to getting home. Hall evacuees are now saying they're being asked to use their home insurance to pay for expenses, but that their insurance often has limits. As for when they can return home, the wildfire service says it all depends on fire activity. Still ahead, some shocking video from a Summerland parking lot. What happened when the clerk of a store tried to stop a suspected thief? And later, she's only 19 years old, but she's on a mission to make aviation history. Good evening. Traffic is light and steady over here in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge, with just some minor delays eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. From Home to Car Insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge.
Two Penticton men are now facing a string of charges after a store clerk was hit by a car while trying to stop a theft. It happened about 10 o'clock Tuesday morning. Summerland RCMP say two men walked out of the Nestor's market with a number of items they didn't pay for. The clerk followed them out and stood in front of their car to prevent them from leaving. The video shows the car accelerating, hitting the clerk and driving off. A short time later, police went to a Penticton home where they arrested the two men and seized guns, drugs and stolen merchandise. The brazen theft of a charity box at a Kelowna fast food restaurant was caught on surveillance camera. It happened around 6.30 Saturday night at a Rutland A&W. A man enters the store, approaches the counter, but when the cashier turns around, he rips off an MS donation box. A&W has a yearly fundraiser. It calls burgers to beat MS in support of the Multiple Sclerosis Society of Canada. It's not clear how much money was in the donation box at the time. If you recognize that guy, call police. And in health matters tonight, we often say laughter is the best medicine, and that is true for the people working tirelessly on the front lines of this pandemic. As Global Suling Go reports, a new event is allowing healthcare professionals across Canada to step away from the seriousness of their jobs and try stand-up comedy instead. They call frontline workers heroes. I would like to know who the hero is that stole my sandwich from the staff ranch. <laughs> the people behind laughter from the front lines say healthcare professionals tend to have a similar sense of humor. I think it's the best kind of humor. It's the morbid kind. You know, it's the kind that goes like <laughs> three steps too far and you can't say anything because it's their job and, you know, they keep us alive. Ruined dinner parties kind of humor. <laughs> Siobhan Theobald, a registered nurse at the Stollery Children's Hospital, is performing in the second upcoming virtual event, a comedy show by people who need a good giggle. Being able to go on stage uh, and just take off the nurse hat and embrace an entirely different side of myself as a performer it's just uh, a really great uh, kind of escape, uh, and it brings some levity to the heaviness. The 28-year-old started doing stand-up in 2019. She says the pandemic is nothing to laugh about, but it does create an opportunity for relatable content. We've all been through a lot together, including those annoying grocery store arrows and wearing masks. I can't believe I'm using the bottom half of my face right now. <laughs> I'm going to have to start learning how to not make my like behind-the-back faces in front of people anymore. And maybe start breathing through my nose again. The creator of the show hopes these healthcare comedians can cheer up their colleagues, similar to sending performers to entertain the troops. Instead of, you know, sending just regular comedians, why don't we send soldiers <laughs> who are also comedians, right? Who knows the war better? As for performing for a virtual audience... People not laughing has never stopped me before, so I'm just gonna... <laughs> I'm just gonna keep just plowing forward. Sulingo. Global News. It's the best way to handle it, for sure. Coming up, a teenage pilot doing what no one has ever done before. Every time I stop, there's, there's more and more people. At her age, what she will have accomplished when her epic journey is over. And what a spa day looks like for a horse. That's coming up, too. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. 
Well, lots of sunshine and blue sky out there today, but Christy warned us yesterday there was a blip coming, and that, <laughs> that might be not far mm-hmm. off now. We'll let her give you the details, Christy. You're exactly right. So the next 24 hours, we're going to see a massive change. Now, for anyone trying to salvage the last bits of summer, that's not great news because we have two days of it on the way, but certainly some good news for the interior regions. First, let's have a look at the chance of rain for Metro Vancouver over the next couple of days. So it really ramps up early tomorrow morning. We will see it between about 60 to 80 percent chance throughout the day on Thursday and again on Friday. But in the afternoon on Friday, it dips off and that's when we'll start to see a drying trend. So we may even see some breaks of blue sky late Friday. But in the meantime, look at the change in temperature. So from 25 today to 17 tomorrow, well below seasonal. You'll definitely need a sweater tomorrow and potentially on Friday as well. But when we look at the interior, that big drop in temperature is helpful for the forest fire situation. Now, how about rainfall? Let's have a quick look. So the wave of rain moves onshore tomorrow. We will see that mainly along the coast. You will see cloud cover in the interior, but not a lot of rainfall. And even into Friday, there's a slight chance of showers in through the interior regions on Friday, but overall the bulk of the moisture will be along the mountain regions. So from the north coast right down into some of the southern coast regions, but you can see one millimeter of rain potentially down towards Kelowna as well. So minimal precipitation there, but at least some cloud cover and cooler conditions. Uh, as for rainfall for Metro Vancouver, we could see anywhere from four to about six millimeters. So there's your Thursday, everyone. Again, the heaviest rain across the north and central coast, mainly cloudy across the south. Here, but most of the shower activity will be across the south coast. South coast. Now for Metro Vancouver, it's just a chance of showers in the morning, ramping up to more scattered showers in the afternoon tomorrow. And then Friday, the reverse. So a few showers in the morning, easing to breaks later on in the day. And so far, your weekend still looking pretty nice with a fair amount of sunshine in there and a warm up as well. Tonight's central windows weather window is from the Armstrong area where they were having a bloom festival. And Sylvia captured this great photo. Nice to see some clear skies in that region as well. All right, Chris, back to you. Love the sunflowers. Okay, great stuff. Thank you very much, Christy. A teen on an epic global journey has made a stop in Montreal. 19-year-old Belgian-British pilot Zara Rutherford is trying to become the youngest woman to ever fly around the world alone. Global's Dan Spector has more on her mission, a dream that goes beyond making history. A small plane lands at St. Hubert Airport just south of Montreal. It's a common occurrence here, but what this pilot is doing is unprecedented. The water cannon salute shows you she's a big deal. So does the adoring crowd waiting for her. Thank you so much for this welcome. Uh, There's so many people here, so it's been really amazing. Uh, I was thinking um, every time I stop, there's there's more and more people, so who knows what's going to happen in Asia. Montreal is the ninth out of 52 cities on five continents 19-year-old Zara Rutherford plans to land in between now and November 3rd. She's trying to become the youngest woman in history to fly around the world solo. The British-Belgian pilot started her journey in Belgium one week ago, most recently stopping in Newfoundland. It was a dream I've had for a long time, so I told my parents about it. And they were like, yeah, let's do this, we'll find sponsors, we'll we'll make it work, but we're going to help you through it. Both her parents are pilots, so she's very comfortable in the air, although there were some anxious moments flying over icy Greenland. I was thinking, please don't crash, please don't crash, please don't crash. Please, engine, please don't stop, please don't stop, please don't stop. 
Zara calms herself with YouTube and podcasts and flies on because she has a mission even more important than breaking the record. When I, when I grew up, they want many girls in aviation or STEM, so that's science, technology, engineering and mathematics. So I'm hoping that with my flight, I can you know, show girls, look, here's, here's a girl flying, you're not alone. Maya Kanteng studies aerospace engineering. At her school, men outnumber women 10 to 1. So our trip is very, very inspiring. Pilot Sandrine Brassard never had female role models to help propel her and thinks Rutherford's mission will do wonders for women and girls. It, it shows the young girls that these role models that are older than them, they've done it. So it's like a proof that if we can do it, so can they. Helping break aviation's glass ceiling one city at a time. Dan Spector, Global News, Montreal. What an inspiration. The closest she'll get to Vancouver is Seattle uh, mid-September, but uh, wishing her luck. Nice segue, day. by the way. Well, I kind of, I, I gave you a lob there because Seattle <laughs> is in the sports news today. You, you throw a lob, I'll hit a double <laughs> off the wall. Don't worry. Uh, okay, oh so one of our favorite Seattle Seahawks around here at Global, because he has visited us at times. Canadian Luke Wilson is retiring from the NFL. Out of the gun, Wilson throws. He once visited Haida Gwaii to promote the game. He's retiring at the age of 31. We will tell you why after the break. One of the good guys for sure. Also tonight, how horses relax after a rough day at the track. The latest technology to keep them healthy coming up. All right, Squires back with sports after uh, mentioning Luke Wilson. Let's stay on the topic of football, shall we? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Luke in a minute, but first, the local guys, because, of course, uh, last Thursday, the Edmonton Elks defeated the BC Lions 21-16. Since that game, the Elks are ahead of the Lions in positive COVID cases as well, 11 players to none. And, of course, everybody hopes the BC Lions stay at zero cases. The players have been tested. They've been monitored all week so far. They are getting ready to fly to Ottawa on Friday for a game on Saturday. So far, the test results for the Lions are exactly what you would want. We're all negative, so that nothing has changed on that front. So that's good news, and we're proceeding on as, as, uh, as, normal, as we normally would. Well, that's good news, and so is this. Quarterback Michael Riley's tender elbow, allowing him to throw the ball with more zip than he has in recent weeks. You know, it's it's still not perfect, but uh, it's getting better every week. You know, I've been able to practice quite a bit more this week than I have in the weeks previous. What wasn't good was watching video from last week's home opening loss to Edmonton. Despite all the excitement Lions players talked about before their first home game since 2019, their energy seemed to drain away before the first half was over. Urgency has been the word. That's been the buzzword that we've used um, really since the the day after the game when we came in and, and watched the film. Um, I'd like to see that increased and you know generally that's going to uh, result in, in better uh, you know efficiency on the field and more points on the board but uh, you know it all starts with that urgency for sure. Early in the first quarter BC did lose veteran offensive lineman Joel Figueroa which certainly caused the offense to go off kilter for a while. His chances of playing in Ottawa this weekend are still unknown. I'm calling him 50-50 and listening to our athletic therapist. He's come along better than we initially had thought, like right after the game. 
but he needs to come out and practice tomorrow, and that'll be the t determining factor on if he comes out and practices, he'll be a go. If it's a deal where he's too limited tomorrow, then um, we'll you know proceed from there. Just one day after he signed with the Seattle Seahawks for a third time in his career, Canadian tight end Luke Wilson announced he is retiring from the NFL. He decided he should not play because he spent some time in the hospital this summer with a buildup of fluid around his heart. So he decided to, as he said, get on with the next chapter of his life. He is from Ontario, started with the Seahawks in 2013, won a Super Bowl in Seattle, also played for Detroit, the Raiders, and Baltimore, but spent most of his years with the Seahawks, scored 11 receiving touchdowns. He was a great athlete. Actually signed with the Toronto Blue Jays in 2011, but decided to play football instead. Serena Williams will not be in the U.S. Open, which starts next Monday because of a torn hamstring. That's the third big-name veteran to pull out. Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer are also not in this year's U.S. Open. Williams, of course, is still one Grand Slam win short of tying Margaret Court for the most all-time at 24. Serena has been stuck on 23 Grand Slam wins since the 2017 Australian Open. And she hasn't played this year since hurting herself at Wimbledon back in June during a first-round match against Alexandra Sasnovich. Williams is 39 years old. She turns uh, 40 years old next month. Well, because of COVID, it seems like forever since we've seen Western lacrosse teams play games or even be on the radar. But the new Westminster Salmon Bellies are coming out of hibernation, if you like, only for a few games, though so they can get to do what they do best and what they love to do. And that, of course, is play lacrosse. Uh, it's music to the ears. <laughs> it feels like old times, really. It's just, uh, it's just the sounds of the rink. It's just like pucks coming off the glass and balls coming off the boards. It's just like second nature to all of us. It's now been two full seasons since the New Westminster Salmon Bellies took to the floor at Queen's Park Arena and played a game. That changes this week as the Bellies get their first taste of senior A lacrosse action thanks to three exhibition games against high caliber opposition. On both rosters you're probably going to see about 25 regular NLL players. Uh, so world class talent. Uh, the best. 850 games of NLL experience on our team alone taking the floor. So it's, it's legit. It's been, I think I counted the other day, a year and seven, eight months since we last played game action. So, been a long time coming. Um, excited to go out there. The Salmon Bellies are always one of the top Western Lacrosse Association's clubs, but this is strictly their own initiative. They're expecting upwards of 800 fans for the Wednesday, Friday night and Sunday afternoon games. Masks will be mandatory for all in attendance. And if you're wondering if these guys are just going to go out there and go through the motions to get a sweat on, think again. Uh, I think it's just an exciting time for us to kind of get a reset and kind of get some of that hunger back into our uh, into our lives to play lacrosse. Okay. Whoever the other team is on the other side, it could be a you know pee wee team, and we're going to be fired up to play against them, right? So any time that we can kind of put that Sandbellies jersey on and represent New West, it's going to be a great time. I mean, I played my last lacrosse game when I was 24 years old. I'm 26 now, so I mean, time's been ticking and. Uh, we're itching to get out there. We did it for the players, the fans, and the community, basically. And like I said before, it was it's just like medicine for these guys to be away this long and for the fans to be away this long and just the whole just it, it, it just can't you can't sustain this. You just gotta you gotta get back into it somehow, some way. And that includes the eighties requisite sporting hair. 
Yes, long live the mullet. <laughs> Business in the front, party in the back. <laughs> Did you ever have one? No. I, I never went the route. No. No. I don't think it would work for us. Yeah, just... Did you, have the little, did you have the little rat tail thing? No. no. It's, it's yeah. basically been like this since grade 10, man. Yeah. That's oh, pretty, that's good. Same here. Pretty much it. Okay. Uh, all right. Thanks very much, Squire. Every athlete needs physiotherapy, and that's true of horses, too. So how do you massage an animal that weighs a ton? We'll show you next. Who doesn't love a spa day, am I right, Squire? Well, horses, they need spas too. Maybe more than we actually need the spa <laughs> because they do a lot of work on their legs. This is what a spa day for a horse looks like. You get some tasty mints and a nice cold water leg massage. Well, it reduces inflammation. Um, it treats basically any injury, any ailment from the knees down. Penelope bought this machine after using it at horse shows in the United States. No matter what activity a horse does, inflammation and sore legs is always something they have to deal with. Small, small stick legs with a big body. They're not all built perfect. Some of them have feet that are a little bit too small. And, and yeah, we just want to do whatever we can to, to help them out. And the spa machine also helps out humans as well since dealing with inflammation in a horse is often done with a garden hose. Instead of a person standing there cold hosing for 20 minutes, where's that water going? That person's time. This way you can do all four limbs and it's way more effective. And despite this being a rather impressive looking modern leg soothing machine, the ingredients it uses are quite simple holds up to 520 uh, gallons of water and almost 250 pounds of salt. And that is regular table salt and Epsom salt. And it is um, 35 Fahrenheit, which is about two degrees Celsius. Which the horses love during their spa visit, just like they do the treats we showed you earlier. But the treats do have a dual purpose. Treats are just to be able to keep them calm. Um, Especially, you know, it's a very combined space and for us to be having the noise um, and the jets going on and off kind of keeps their focus to us. And it just reassures them, like a dog, treat, you're being good. The other thing the horses love with that machine is the water is salty and they love salt. Oh, so there's oh, a lot of that, licking yeah. of the walls mm. too. A mint and a massage and salt, too. It's just perfect. We should get one for around here. And then we got to bring Christy back, too. You've been, you've been away too long, Christy. Yeah. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Yeah.